You can be um, getting your Bibles ready in James chapter, into chapter 1, chapter 2. We'll go there in a minute. Uh, so, men, I wanted to mention to you about the men's retreat, just something so you can be aware. Um, last year's retreat cost $120, and we're trying to get the retreat below that, more like around 100 And I would make a suggestion if you want to. Uh, you're welcome to pay early if you want. You can pay in payments, like three, to three payments between now and the end of September. So whatever way you need to to break it down, that would be good. So uh, we'll have the exact amount here soon because we're able to, we're going to be able to cut some of the costs down. So anyway, that's that. So how's everybody? All right, that's good. So we had a great week this last week with uh, Aaron and his family. Uh, Aaron and uh, Riley and I got to go fishing out on the Long Island Sound on one of the hottest days of the year, but fish did bite, and uh, Riley beat both of us. She caught two fish to our one. She caught the first one, and uh, she, like, had a blast. This is, you know, this is an, an example of how different siblings are. So Riley goes with us out on a fishing boat for four hours in, you know, 88-degree heat, and it was still. There was no wind at all, and she has a blast. She did not stop the whole time. So Kathy takes Katrina and Peyton, the 10-year-old, to, uh, what's it called? Oh, yeah, Robinson Tea Room. I have no desire to be close to that place. (laughs) So when they got home, I said to Peyton, I said, Peyton, how was the tea room? And here was her response. See if I can do it. She's had these eyes that went back like this. It was wonderful. <laughs> so she liked it. And I was really happy. And I was really happy I didn't have to take her. So, um, but we had a great time. Aaron and Katrina had an accident on the way home on the Grand Central Parkway, so they're immersed in being New Yorkers. They know what it's like. Uh, they didn't get hurt, but uh, somehow they got underneath a Honda that went up in the air as it collided with another car, and they got past it, and uh, pretty much unscathed. I mean, Aaron's looking back, trying to figure out. He, he got under the car and went through three lanes of traffic to get to the shoulder and did not get hit. And uh, so we feel like that was just the grace of God protecting them. So um, this morning, one of the things I want us to do before uh, we're done and we go home later is after, after we're done looking at the Word, I want us to... Uh, I want to make available a prayer time for anybody that would like prayer. There's a couple of people in particular that I've already talked to that we're going to pray for. Uh, I have oil, anointing oil. Um, There's a lot of things going on right now. And and so if you need prayer for physical stuff going on, if you need prayer because of some extra anxiety going on in your life, whatever, um, what I'm going to ask you to do is that as soon as the last song is done, um, I'll, I'll dismiss you, and if, if you don't need prayer, great, that's fine. Go ahead and work your way back to the back and get some coffee and bagels. But if you'd like prayer, and if it ends up being everybody, that's fine too. Uh, I just want to take some time. We won't take a long time, but I think it's important to follow the Scriptures and to anoint uh, with faith different people that need healing. 
And so we're going to do that uh, after, after our last song this morning. So this morning, we want to continue to look in James. We're going to mainly be in James chapter 2, but I want to remind you of a few things that we've talked about the last few weeks. One of the things that's critical that James is obviously trying to get across, remember he's the brother of Jesus, and he watched Jesus uh, in action. He watched him in many situations where he was accused of different things. He pressed through uh, doubt. He pressed, to, pressed through crowds that uh, were pressing in on him. He did not equivocate to the Pharisees and Sadducees and the scribes who wanted to change everything that he wanted to do. And that in particular is what this chapter goes after. And over the last couple of weeks, we've really been looking at the fact that if we're letting the Word work in us the way it's supposed to, it works into the inside, and then the result is out of us should come a change in the way we minister to the Lord and minister to each other. And if the Word is working like it should and we're allowing it to, it's happening because we have a teachable spirit. And let me remind you of some things that a teachable spirit represents. A teachable spirit produces righteousness. Righteousness, rightness with God. And it produces righteousness with our relationships with each other and with other people. And so, if there's something broken in our relationship to God, we look to fix it with His help. We confess to Him our sins. If there's something broken in our relationships to each other, if we have a teachable spirit, we seek out the person we have a broken relationship with and we try to find some way uh, through love and forgiveness and confession to heal that relationship. If we don't have a teachable spirit, we get stubborn and we just say, up yours and we leave. And that, that's not what we want, obviously, because that means that the spirit, the, the word is not getting implanted into our hearts. So the teachable spirit produces righteousness and a rightness of wanting to make things right. And it also affects us when we're looking at the community. So obviously it affects the up and the in and the out that we talk about a lot of times because when we see situations where people are in need, there should be something that raises, rises up within us and we say, that's not right. And if we have a teachable spirit, we look for some way to do something about it. If we don't have a teachable spirit, here's what we do. Um, hey, Jeff, could you go take care of that problem for me so I don't have to worry about it? Oh, Kathy, would you go, you, you go take care of it. Now, it doesn't mean that we're not paying attention to one another's difference in giftedness, but if I don't have a teachable spirit, what ends up happening is I find some way to get out of what God's putting on my heart to do. Another thing about a teachable spirit is it increases connection because it's receptive and it doesn't carry a spirit of rejection. That's what we sang about this morning. It, it doesn't carry a spirit of, fear, spirit of fear. We're not functioning out of insecurity. We're functioning out of the security of who we are in Christ because we are belie- we're not only hearing the words spoken, but we are really believing in the sense that the words are becoming part of who we are. Another thing about a teachable spirit is it absorbs the Word of God and gives us supernatural ability to co-labor with God to extend the kingdom of God. Um, For example, when we pray for one another later, 
when we have a time of prayer, we are co-laboring with God. God doesn't need us, but He invites us to labor with Him, to pray with one another. So if we have a teachable spirit, we walk into that laboring relationship and He uses us to do His works. To do His works of ministry to one another. And then the last thing a teachable spirit uh, does is it produces a spirit of righteousness that can transform people and community. Now I mentioned it produces righteousness in right connection, but it also produces righteousness that actually can change a community of people. What that means is, you all have the seeds of the Spirit in you because of the Word, so that wherever you're at, in your work situation, whether it's at the engineering firm, whether it's at school, whether it's at the radiology office, uh, whether it's at the, uh, at the planning department, whether it's uh, at, at, at the school that you teach at, in all of those different places, whether it's in the doctor's office, whether it's in the hospital, whether it's in uh, a house for uh, uh, teenagers that are struggling, in all of those places, uh, when you have a teachable spirit, what ends up happening is you have a spirit that produces righteousness that can bring, bring transformor, transformation to the very places that you're in. Which is pretty powerful when you think about it. And it's amazing that we are giving that responsibility and that privilege to actually bring a change to the atmosphere. Now, the other thing I want to remind you about that we've covered is that James gives us three dangerous deceptions we need to watch for. The first one is we are deceived. Verse 16 in chapter 1, we're deceived when we believe a distorted view of the character of God, where we start blaming Him for temptation that comes and all of that because because that would be a distorted view. And, and James says that's deception to take on that view. The second thing is uh, we are deceived when God's implanted Word is not changing us from the inside out. When we are hearers of the Word, but we're not doing anything. If we just hear the Word and it just becomes more intellectual stuff, and it's not changing us in the way we behave, then we're being deceived. And then the third thing is we're deceived if we talk a lot, about the mercy of God, but then when someone needs the mercy of God, we're the last person in the line to give mercy. If we talk a lot about the mercy of God, but we don't have a spirit of compassion, then we are being deceived. So we have those warnings to deal with, and we have the need and the desire that we want to have that produces a teachable spirit. So with that backdrop, let's go to the end of chapter 1. And we'll look at the last two verses because they kind of set up chapter 2. And I'm not going to go verse by verse today. I just want to, um, I want you to work with me and grab some pieces out of these, these verses because there's some pretty powerful statements just to kind of, boy, you just, you just have to almost kind of sit in them. You know, like a, a really good barbecue, a piece of meat that sits for days, you know, before you even cook it. Some of these verses are like that. You need to just kind of let them percolate into your heart. So verses 26 and 27. We got that up there? If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, that's kind of a gruesome picture if you think about it, but deceives his heart, this person's religious is worthless. Just let that one kind of settle in for a minute. 
Not that anybody here, but just so you can tell this to somebody else, if we've ever gossiped, that means our religion, what we perceive as being religious, is worthless. That's kind of humbling. Verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So if we ignore uh, widows and orphans, then the implication is we're stained by the world. I want to read you something that a friend of ours posted It's a girl that we've known for a long time. She was in our youth group. That's a long time ago. She lives in California, and so she says, so I'm on my way home today, and I see a homeless man laying on the concrete in front of Boston Market. I turned around and went back and asked him if he was hungry, and of course he was. So I drove in, and I got him a meal and some ice-cold water and came out, And he had the saddest but sweetest eyes, and I had the opportunity to pray with him. And lo and behold, he was a believer. And he knew that there was a better place coming, and he would never give up. And it brought me to tears, and it made me realize how so completely grateful I am for what I have. And I'm thankful I was able to help him today. Our friend Donna got to enjoy the privilege of being unstained because of that act of mercy. So James goes on in chapter 2, and he begins in verse 1 by saying, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Another translation says it this way, My cherished family, you are in loyal service to the exalted King Jesus. You are in loyal service to the exalted King Jesus. Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit in a good, here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over here or stand over there and sit down at my feet, Verse 4, this is one of those verses now you just, this one hits you like a ton of bricks. Have you not then made distinctions among yourself and become judges with evil thoughts? Another translation basically says, if that's what you do, you are evil. And the implication is, if that's even an inclination in your heart, to show partiality, to judge differently, uh, uh, conditionally, which is totally contrary to the way that God judges us unconditionally. If you have any, even an inkling of that, he says you have evil thoughts that you need to wrestle with. Verse 5 says, Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. 
Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? In verse 7 is another one of those verses. Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name of Jesus by which you were called? In other words, the ones that oppress other people, if we're one of those oppressors, we're actually blaspheming the name of Jesus. We're actually saying, I curse you, Jesus, by our actions. And if you think about that, none of us in our wildest dreams would ever want to do that. But the, the warning is here that we need to be cautious about the attitudes of our heart. So what I want us to grab a hold of this morning is we don't want an inkling of this, of this, this oppressive spirit or an inkling of partiality to, to trickle into our hearts or our minds or our spirits. Verse 8 says, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, and you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin, and you are, and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it, guilty of all of it. For he who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, Do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are, be, are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now you're going to understand this illustration I'm going to give here in a second if you wear glasses. But there are times that I'm going along and I haven't even thought all day long about cleaning my glasses. I don't think about the fact that, gosh, things are getting a little blurry, and why is, why is there th- this thing that keeps... You know, I've got floaters in my eyes all the time, so I never know if it's floaters or dirt on my glasses. But what these verses do for us is kind of like, if you can picture this, it's kind of like you go along and you... You let partiality begin to creep into your life. You, you kind of get this critical, cynical attitude towards all that's going on around us for people that are in need. And you go along and you go along and you don't think much about it. And you start getting this hard, critical attitude. And then the Holy Spirit comes to convict you. And just like when I go into the bathroom and I put some water on my glasses and some soap, and I take a tissue and clean them off and I put them back on and I go, wow, it's like I have a new set of glasses on. And we need to do the same thing on a regular basis when it comes to this issue. When we're looking at all the issues that are going on around us with the homelessness, the immigration issue, all of these hot button issues, we need to make sure that we don't have a knee-jerk reaction That's just a political reaction. We need to have a biblical reaction to these situations. And we need to all start with our own hearts as we look at it. Hearing and obeying means that we will not let the world leave its ugly smudge on us like a smudge on our glasses. Someone said God scandalously loves His lost creation and extends grace to us, empowering believers to love Him and to love others at a higher standard than the law. If we've had a critical spirit 
and out of a critical spirit have allowed critical words to be spoken, um, James is pretty harsh. We're in violation of, we basically are blaspheming the the royalty of Jesus. And the essence of this is that if we are letting the Word shape us like God's Word is able to, we will behave differently. We'll behave out of that influence and our words will our words will reflect one of two things. They'll either reflect the heart of the Father who has this reckless love that we sang about or we read about in Luke 15 with the sheep and the shepherd and the sheep. Do you remember what other stories in Luke chapter 15? There's two of them. One's a lost coin. What's the other one? The lost son. And do you remember in that story, do you remember who was on which side? You know, the son obviously needed the mercy of God. And he was a big time jerk and did not, did not deserve the mercy of his father. But who reflected the heart of God the Father? And who reflected the heart of the enemy? The heart of a Pharisee. It was the brother, the older brother. And so, which one are we going to be in the situations that are, we're faced with? With friends and neighbors and colleagues and people around us as we're walking through the city or whatever it might be. Which heart are we going to have? Because one heart brings life and the other heart seeks to rob, steal, and destroy. So, I want us to think about the heart of Pharisees for just a minute. Because we need to protect against acting like a Pharisee. No one read the Law and the Prophets more than the scribes and the Pharisees. I love what I read. Somebody said that too many believers mark their Bibles, but fail to allow the Bible to mark them and direct their life. There is a modern... There's a dangerous deception in the modern-day church. Never think you are safe and spiritually maturing simply because you are hearing the Word. Just because you've done your devotions, if the devotions, if if the words that you've read in your devotions are not percolating into your heart to produce a spirit of compassion instead of spirit of of a Pharisee, something's off. And we need to be careful we're not deceived by a religious spirit. Have you not read the Scriptures? Jesus said that to the Pharisees at least six times, if not more. And we need to be faithful and dutifully read the Bible, but we need to be careful that if it's not shaping our identity and our behavior, then we have succumbed to a Pharisaical and religious spirit, which James makes really clear. God hates that spirit. And I just don't want it in me at all. But I have to confess to you, I find it there at different times. In fact, I find it there more often than I want it to be. And we need to be careful that we filter what's going on in our hearts. Think about the relationship of the Pharisees and Jesus and think about how many times the Pharisees attempted to cancel the power and the mercy of God with their words and their attitudes. Even in the passage I read this morning from Luke 15, It says the Pharisees and the scribes were actually grumbling to Jesus. Not that any of us have ever grumbled, but that's the heart that the Pharisees were carrying. 
And the Pharisees attempted to cancel the power and the mercy of God with their words and their attitudes. And there are so many examples in the Gospels of how many times Jesus countered them with His words and His actions to reflect the Father's heart. Think of a few with me. So work with me for just a minute. See if you can remember a couple. Give me some examples to start with. Can you think of some examples where you got the Pharisees on one side of the table and you got Jesus on the other side of the table and they're having this political debate about what to do? Paying taxes? What about with people? What? Healing on the Sabbath. Yep. Yeah, picking grain, working on the Sabbath and picking grain, taking care of people. Yeah, the woman that anointed Jesus' feet, like, what a waste. What a waste. That actually came, that comment also came from one of his disciples who criticized and had that pharisaical spirit and seeing, instead of seeing the heart of devotion in a woman. Can you think of some other examples? The tax collectors? Eating with the tax collectors? Yep. He got criticized of that a lot of times. Let's take that one for just a minute. Can you think of a tax collector? Yeah, the wee little man. Okay? And people were incredulous. The, everybody was incredulous. Jesus asked Zacchaeus, the tax collector, would you invite me to your house? And he brought the mercy in the kingdom of God to his house that day. Are you kidding me? What are you doing in that house, Jesus? It's because I have the heart of a father my father's heart and he needs the heart of the father he's already received enough of what you have obviously Luke 15 is one can you think of a any more forgiveness of sins obviously the story of Peter where he forgives Peter for his failures when we would have written Peter off He certainly wouldn't have had any leadership role in our church. What about this one? What about the the one in John chapter 8 where the woman is caught in adultery? We heard somebody talking about this recently at a meeting we were at, and I I, I thought this was humorous. I never thought about it this way. You ever thought in that story in John chapter 8, this woman's caught in adultery, and all the religious leaders bring her to Jesus. And do you, do you ever notice that they didn't bring the person she committed adultery with? That's part, of the, that's part of that culture. Because she didn't commit adultery by herself. But she's the one. And do you remember? So think with me about that story. Those of you that remember the story. What did Jesus do? What was the very first thing he did? He, he bends down, he writes on the ground, and everybody has all sorts of conjecture about what he wrote. We don't know what he wrote. But then what did he say to this group of religious leaders with their pharisaical spirit? Whoever is without sin can throw the first stone. Because they were going to stone her to death. 
And do you remember what happens next? Starting with the oldest. It's the oldest one that realized, I know, I've, I've heard this story before. I've had to deal with this problem in my heart before. And I think it's interesting because it seems like the older you get, the more you realize, gosh, why does this keep creeping up in my heart? I thought I dealt with this a long time ago. But it's the oldest, and then one by one, the last person leaves. And this person we heard sharing about this, I love the way he pictured it. He says, at that point, you know, with her hair down in her face and she's down on the ground, humiliated, Jesus pushes up her chin, pushes back her hair, and says, where are your accusers? I, I don't know. And then what does he say to her after that? Go and sin no more. Just let, let those pictures kind of work into your heart this week. The contrast between what Jesus did and what the Pharisees and probably we tend to do. There's the woman with the issue of blood. She touches Jesus, the hem of His garment. There's so many times where Jesus touches the unclean, the lepers. Remember the story of the blind man. Jesus touches the blind man. The Pharisees are just beside themselves. But which spirit are we going to carry? Jesus said to the Pharisees one time, you were wrong because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. Now, I... As usual, i got way more than I have time for. And we won't take time to look at this passage, but you know the story. The story of the Good Samaritan. In Luke chapter 10, go ahead and bring it up, Steph, and then uh, we'll just look at the beginning of it. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to a test saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said, what is written in the law? How do you read it? He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? I guess I should just go ahead and read it, just to remind us. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. And now by chance a priest was going down that road. and when he, So let me just read it this way. Now by chance Pastor Doyle was going down that road, and when he saw him he passed by on the other side. You all know my name's not Doyle on Long Island, by the way. I get introduced a lot of times. This is our minister. So I'm a minister. So I fit right in this story. I just passed the guy on the road. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by the other, on the other side. A Levite is a, a religious leader. But a Samaritan, why is a Samaritan such a big deal in this story? They're cultural enemies. They're cultural outcasts. They're hated by the Jews. 
A Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where, there he, where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion, and he went to him and bound, him up, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he set on him his own animal, set, uh, on, set him on his own, an, own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of himself. Took. <laughs> uh. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? It's funny, he asked the question, but you never hear the answer. He just says in verse 37, he said, the one who showed him mercy, and Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Um, I'll put it this way. The time it gets me is when I'm... Here's an example. It's funny, we just came across this person the other day on Facebook. A friend of mine, John Warren, who I haven't seen for years, his brother was dying of cancer, and dying of AIDS. He was dying of AIDS. And this was back in the day when AIDS the whole thing about AIDS was like super, uh, yeah, a lot of fear. Yeah, I mean, you could catch it just by, you know, stuff in the atmosphere. And uh, John invited me to go visit his brother at the hospital. And his brother was laying on a cooling bed because he had a 104 degree fever. And I've seen people sick with cancer, but I've never seen anybody as sick as he was. He was emaciated. And he was afflicted with AIDS because he'd been involved in a gay lifestyle. And we had put mask on to go in the room. And here was my position. I hope I don't mess up the... I got as close to the wall as I could. There's the bed. I'm like... I didn't want to touch him. And then some of his friends came in. And I could, this is legal. This is my wife. <laughs> they came in. They said, oh, oh. And they wept over him. I was, I was a mess. Because I didn't have... I, I was the Christian in the room. And I didn't have the compassion of Christ. And they were not believers. They didn't know Jesus at all. But they had greater compassion than me. And I thought, there's something wrong with this picture. If you go back to the beginning of chapter 2 again in James. James in verse 1 says, My brothers and sisters show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. You know, the message with the discussion that follows in this chapter is that we need to always remember where we came from and our source of spiritual birth. You know the old line there, but for the grace of God go I. 
I've thought about it different times when, you know, we were in the city on Monday and actually on Friday, and I've thought about it different times as I step over a homeless person. And I think, there but for the grace of God, I'm able to keep walking. I'm not trying to heap condemnation on us or anything like that this morning. I'm just trying to be get us to wrestle with these things and I read this illustration or story that there was a rule in some parts of the early church that if a regular member of the congregation came in to the church, the usher or the greeter would look after them and make sure they were taken care of. But if a stranger came in, particularly a poor stranger, the bishop himself would leave his chair and go to the door and welcome the newcomer. And I just want to say, I wish that was always my first inclination. It's not simply what would Jesus do, because that's too abstract and distant. Someone said it's more, what would I do if I were full of Jesus? What would I do if I were full of Jesus? And so, you know, if you read these verses and you allow yourself to be convicted by the words that are there, and let it speak to the areas in your life that are ineffective as a window with a crack, as glasses with smudges, as a car tire with a slow leak. Eventually, your actions will reveal the true nature of your heart, whether you have the heart of the Father or the heart of a Pharisee. I just want to end with this. If you think about it, in verse for have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil or have become evil? Now remember, James, the brother of Jesus, is remembering and reflecting on a lot of his time with Jesus. Now think with me. Think through the Lord's Prayer. You may have to kind of do it in your mind from the beginning. Our Father. Where, what does it say about evil? Yeah, lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, sometimes I think evil is about, you know, not committing sin and not falling to the enemy's tricks. But evil also means, if this verse applies, evil also means deliver me from the evil that allows my heart to be like a Pharisee instead of the heart of a father. So, let's end this morning with this prayer. Here's the thing. You know why it's easier to give recognition to the rich person than it is the poor person? Why is it? Why do you, why do you think it is? You can answer the rich person can repay us why else yeah it's about being with someone with credentials and the sense of dignity that I'm with the rich person who wants to be with someone that needs a bath 
And isn't it because, and this is a trick of the enemy, I think, because I think both take work, but isn't it because the poor person, the person that's oppressed, the orphan, the needy, they take a lot of work. It takes a lot of work. You know, in different ones that we've all been burdened for, friends, people we work with and are struggling with different things. Kathy and I heard a guy on Sunday or on Friday, he's a commercial real estate salesman. He has a 12-year-old son that's autistic. And one of the women that was there, one of the wives or moms, they have a son that has cerebral palsy. And she said, how do you deal with that sometimes? Because some days I just don't have enough strength. And he told about one of the biggest real estate deals he made after a night of six hours of violent outbursts by his autistic son. You know who wants to be around that autistic son? He said in the middle of the night, he said, God, Father, can I just have 10 minutes? Can I just have 10 minutes? Because it's hard. But God will give his grace for us to do what we need to do. So let's stand up, put our hands out in front of ourselves. I guess that's the only place you can put your hands out in front of yourself. And let's just ask the Father to give us his grace, to show more grace. So Lord, just help us. Help us not to walk in heaviness about this. I just, I'm I'm concerned that I put heaviness on everyone, but help us to walk with a spirit of compassion. so that we are bringing the kingdom of God to bear in people's lives. Help us to be more sensitive to the Holy Spirit as He speaks to us in whatever the situation is. Rich or poor, educated or uneducated, help us, Lord, to listen to You as You speak to us and through us. We ask in Your name. Amen. Just wanted to say that uh, it's really good to see Kathy and Nicole and Hope and Ryan this morning. It's been a while, and we've been praying for you, all of us, and uh, just continue to pray for more strength and healing. Um, Karen Kershish is recovering. Uh, Matt was telling me that she's thinking now that she's going to postpone the other knee surgery for a while because it's a lot of work to get back on her feet. Um, but she's in outpatient therapy, right? At, and uh, so pray for her to continue to get strength in that knee. Also, Bob shared with me this morning, his sister Cecilia had open heart surgery on Tuesday, and she was on her feet Wednesday dancing. And she's planning to go home tomorrow. So keep her in, her, in your prayers as well. So after, after a benediction... Um, Like I said, anybody that wants prayer this morning because we want you to be effective. And when you're dealing with stuff physically, emotionally, or otherwise, it's tough to do what you need to do. So we want to have a time of ministry. If you don't need to, uh, that's fine. But I would just ask that you would go ahead and go back to the great room. Don't leave because we'll we'll go through. We're just going to, we're not going to labor. 
for a long time and it's prayer time, but uh, Kathy already set up the bagels and coffee so you can get it started. Just save me one, please. I'm just kidding. So, yeah. Um, all right, let's ex- ex- extend our hands and just receive the blessing of the Lord. Lord, I pray that you would bless all of us today with an increased level of love, compassion, an increased sense of the heart of the Father. Release a greater sense of grace and mercy into our hands so that you might use our hands to extend that to others. Help us to go in the, in the power and in the peace of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We'll go in peace. If you want prayer, come, up, come on up right now and we'll do some prayer. Matt, if you could just maybe have some music playing in the back, that'd be good. Hey, uh, Kent, if you want to get Esther to come, that'd be good.